Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to Faith in the Zone, a show about sports and faith and how the two come together in lives being touched. Right now, discover how people in sports walk in faith with hosts Mike McGivern and Pastor Ken Keltner on Sports Radio 105.7 FM, The Fan. All this time, all this time, you covered me. Welcome to Faith in the Zone on Sports Radio 105.7 FM, The Fan. I'm Mike McGiver. My co-host is back, causing <laughs> trouble, man. Causing all kinds of trouble. Oh, I love being back with you, pastor Mike McGiver. Ken <laughs> Keltner. He is the head pastor at Brookside Baptist Church. Man, it's been a little lonely in this studio without you. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I uh, hate that I've been gone, but hey, been with family a little bit, so... Uh, I've had yeah. nobody to pick on. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Poor Terry. Poor nobody, Terry. Oh, Poor Terry. Terry leads a charmed life. Oh, man. man she's married uh, to me for 30-some-odd years, yeah, brother. I just love it. I love yeah. it. I love it when I hear her say, Michael. Yeah. You know, I love it when people say, wow, your wife looks so young. And I tell them because, man, I've I've treated her like a princess for 30-some-odd yeah. years, and she just looks at me like, yeah. boy, yeah. don't go there. Hey, I'm excited about our special guest. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I have to tell you, Pastor, we'll, we'll get uh, emails from, from people every once in a while regarding this show and a number of shows that I do. This email to our radio station uh, that Tom Parker sent my way um, opened my eyes. And I got a chance to read now both of the articles that, that Tim had sent. And he sent us an email that just said, hey, look, I, I live in California, but I've, I've had a chance to listen to Faith in the Zone a number of times. And I think that uh, my story is something that, that might fit with what you guys talk about at Faith in the Zone. And I gave Tim a call. He is a former or he is a uh, current scout in the New York Mets organization, former left-hander for a number of uh, clubs in Major League Baseball including the team in, in Beloit a long time ago, and we'll get into that, how uh, what Beloit was like for Tim. Uh, but our special guest for the entire uh, hour is Tim Fortuno. Hey, Tim, how's it going today? Oh, I'm doing super. Thank you very much. And um, I can't tell you how excited I am to talk to, to speak with you guys. You guys make me laugh. <laughs> uh, that, that's, more my, that's more Mike, Tim, than me. <laughs> hey, Tim, my back hurts a lot. My back hurts a lot after doing this show from carrying this pastor with me. I, I've had exactly. some I've had some big time blunders, let's say, and um, they haven't they haven't recorded over my blunder, so it's been embarrassing. I thought I knew sports till I got on got on the program with Mike, and then I find out I don't know much. Tim, do you know Tom Landry by any chance? <laughs> That's an inside joke, Tim. I'm just I'm just kidding. Man, pastor, it's good having you back. Uh, yeah. I, I'm telling you. Hey, Tim, uh, we really appreciate your willingness to come on, and and I know that Pastor had a chance to read the articles mm-hmm. that I yeah. sent him, and and I have as well, and and looking forward to to getting into this story. You 
You, sir, in fact, on the promo that that ran this week for Faith in the Zone, I talk about uh, this is a story, a story of perseverance. Guy that's really, you know, he's he's uh, he's gone through a lot and he's come out on the other end strong because of his faith. And and uh, we're going to get into that, Tim. Let's start the the show by finding out a little bit about where you grew up and and some of the things that uh, that uh, you grew up with and how you got into baseball. Okay, awesome, awesome. And uh, yeah, you know, I, I grew up a troubled kid. I lived in the Lakeside Projects of Clinton, Massachusetts. I was brought up in an abusive home. Uh, a little bit later on, my mother did a pretty good job for her raising four kids on her own. Um, we had four. I had three other siblings. We were all one year apart. We lived in the projects, like I said, in Clinton, Mass. But my mom did the best she could. She was a single mom. My dad was kind of missing in action for the first, like, 10 years. He was in and out, in and out. So didn't really have that father figure um, around. Um, but anyways, through the trials and the tribulations of living in that home, um, I ended up reaching a trouble spot right when I was about 10 years old, 11 years old, until I was about 16. And that's where it was a really choppy, real choppy lifestyle. Uh, had an abusive stepdad who came in on the scene, became a instant dad, of, of inst- inherited an instant family of four. Um, he was not a really, really patient man. Um, Turned out he was emotionally, he was mentally abusive, and um, I'm sad to say that he was very, he was sexually abusive towards my sister. So it, from the ages of 11 to about 16 years old, uh, it was real choppy. Uh, one thing, Tim, I was able to read, uh, Mike sent me um, your story, and, and I tell you, I, I, I was... Uh, reading it right there in my office at the church, and I mean, I just wept and, and that uh, of what you went through, and, and especially what what really hit me was the uh, you know the difficulty with with your stepdad. But but the one thing was, I think you came home with a C, and you know, the, I guess he wanted an A, and so I think you had the whole summer where you stayed in your bedroom, you know, the whole time, mm-hmm. and you heard the kids out there playing ball and. And I just, uh, I mean, man, my heart just broke that that you were in that kind of environment. Because when I look at your picture uh, on the uh, what Mike sent me uh, there, as far as your story, you're eight years old, and I mean, you look mm-hmm. like uh, a, an eight year old who is innocent, who loves life, and the you know the the difficulty of life hasn't hit you, you know, at least uh, like it would, like it was going to when you hit ten. And I look at that picture, and then I hear those, and I read your story, and and it is a, it's a miraculous story that you are where you are today. You know, I share with kids all the time. Uh, thanks, Ken. I mean, um, it it was a tough time for sure. It really was. And back then in the 70s, which is when I was raised, uh, these are things you didn't talk about. You didn't talk about mental abuse or sexual abuse or um, emotional abuse. You just had to find a way to deal with it. There, it just wasn't out in the open. Mm-hmm. And quite honestly, I was even telling, um, um, you know, friends even earlier is that I was really ashamed at sharing my story even later on in life. It was just the most recent past where God's been prodding me to say, Tim, I've brought you through this. And ultimately the, the story does have a good ending. But the point of the matter is, is that while I was going through it, I really did struggle. I had no way of knowing how to cope. And mm-hmm. so I found different mechanisms. 
And unfortunately, those were a lot of the bad choices that I'd made that led me up to finally meeting my Lord and Savior. And that's really the, 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 the positive message that comes out of this. And I think that's the reason why I've reached out to you guys, because I love the title of your show, Faith in the Zone, because it resonates with me so much because of my, I've been able to make a life out of a dream in professional baseball now for the last 32 years. When it was taken away from me at such a young age, I even told kids this morning, I was in a classroom this morning, and I was sharing with them that anything that brought joy, anything that brought happiness, anything that brought, you know, just fulfillment to me, my stepfather took away from me. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that he identified very early when he came on the scene was I loved baseball. And I, and once he found out I loved baseball, he made sure that he took that away from me. And, I mean, I could have done the smallest, littlest thing. It didn't matter. Um, and that's what I meant by him being impatient. He was unkind. He was very emotionally abusive. The second that he found out I loved baseball, he took that away from me. And I lost a valuable, invaluable amount of time of, you know, uh, emotional stability and development in baseball, development mentally, development emotionally. So, yeah, it was certainly rocky from the ages of 11 to 16 until the Lord rescued me and redeemed me. We are talking with Tim Fortuno. He is a scout with the New York Mets organization, former left-hander, Major League Baseball. Hey, Tim, during that time, and and, and look, I, I do not come from a broken family, um, so I don't understand a lot of times when, when I hear stories. Was your mom, um, did she stand off to the side and, and allow him to to become the that, that type of parent to you? Yeah, it took me a long, you know, great question, and it took me a long time to finally sift through and figure this all out, because at the time I felt, if you will, for lack of a better way, I felt uh, she was turning her back. But now that I look back on her, I can see how she was a victim. I can actually see how my mom was a victim, where, you know, she was just trying to do the right thing. She was just trying to give us a father figure. She was just trying to bring that role model into the house and Unfortunately, to her, even to her dismay, you know, one member of the family left, the next member left, the next member left. So by the time we all reached the ages of 18, there was only one left, and that was my oldest brother. And uh, my sister left before she was 18. My, other, my youngest brother left before he was 18. I left before I was 18. And it was all because of the fact that, you know, and I believe, to answer your question, my mother didn't know how to handle it. Again, this was in a time when you didn't come out in the open. You didn't talk about this stuff. Um, I think today we would probably be having uh, somebody from DHS knocking on the door saying, hey, what's going on? There's some, we're getting this report at school. We're getting the report uh, from a lot of people around that you know, there's some kind of abuse going on here. And truthfully, there was. And um, it, it's just that now that I look back, I just don't think my mother knew how to handle that. I really don't. My 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 relationship with my mother today is 100% healed, mm, but it took a awesome. long time for that forgiveness to take place, and it took a long time for me to uh, be able to share with her where I, where forgiveness is coming from me. It's primarily because of the fact that I've been forgiven yep. mm -hmm. by Jesus, yep. and so I was able to, you know, and I had a great counselor when mm. I moved in with Kenny, 
Kenny is my Christian dad to this day. Yeah. And as I was going through those troubled times, and I know I'm moving real fast forward, and we'll, I'll go nope. back and get into a little bit more detail. Oh, of course. But yep. I'm sure. But yeah, but I'm sharing with you guys that he really was able to lead me and point me to Jesus and saying, "Hey, Tim, look, you know, only you're going to be able to forgive your parents, and only you can do it. But at first, you're going to have to receive forgiveness for yourself, and then you're going to have to receive forgiveness, knowing that the Lord died on the cross for your sins." And so. When I started recognizing that, I was able to go back to my mom and say, I forgive you, I love you, I always have, I've always wanted to. I understand that, you know, there's no turning back, we can't turn the clocks back here. But uh, that took an awful long time, if you will, for our relationship to become 100% mended. Well, i got to tell you, reading these, uh, Kenny and Vicki Graves, um, they're, they're my heroes through this story mm-hmm. they really mm-hmm. are and, and if this is not a made for tv movie or something uh it should be and they they certainly would be the ones that would star in this thing because they stepped up they they did something that you know a lot of people would not do and that is take a kid with an anger issue some drug problems you know you were you were as rebellion as they get at that age and said okay come on in you know what, we don't, and reading that, that quote where they said, look, we don't have rules here, but but we're going to tell you, you know, you're not going to do drugs in our house, and we want you to go to school, and we want you to go to church with us, but we're not going to make you do that. But there's, right. there's worship every night, there's Bible studies at, at the house, or in the local coffee shop, conversations about God lasting until midnight. Mm-hmm. These are the heroes of this yeah. story. Yeah. It sure is. I yeah. no doubt. I, I I I talk to Kenny and Vicky all the time still, and they had such a great ministry back in those days. And you know, it was like such a different environment for me to be put into. I go from the projects of Clinton, Massachusetts, over to Berlin in a small town, being isolated from my friends, anything that brought joy to me, and then becoming this rebellious kid. And you know, in truth, in reality, is. I think my probation officer saw that I had a chance. I just think that he sensed that, man, this is kind of a good kid. He's not, he doesn't really have a track. He used to be a straight-A student. He used to play baseball growing up. He used to, you know, really have a lot of friends, and then he just got caught up on the wrong side of the, of the uh, fence. What happened? And he identified it, and he put me in a really good home that he felt like I was going to be able to, if you will, thrive. Hey, guys. And hey, hey, Tim, we're going to get to our first break, because I want to, not, in, in segment two, kind of dig a little bit deeper into that. We'll, we'll talk about your testimony a little bit, and I want to make sure that, that we also give the baseball side to this, because it's, it's a really impressive story. Now, e- even when you were throwing, when you were 28 and a rookie and you were in, in Beloit, you understand that if I got in the batter's box, I was going to take <laughs> you deep, right? Here we go. Right? Here we go. Hey, <laughs> you, be- you better not hang one. You, hey, hey, Fortuno, you got nothing that you can throw past me, pal. Hey, hey, just put him on base because <laughs> hey, you have a good, man, you got a good pickoff man, there. You got George lefty, Brett picked off. You, you can man, pick Mike off, trust me. Man, trust me. I'm going to turn my hips, go deep, and we're going to have to go find another ball. Our special guest is Tim Fortuno, former Major League Baseball. He's a scout with the, the Mets. He might want to come up. Watch your slow pitch softball. Watch me in the church softball league. Man, watch me hit doubles into singles all day long. This is Faith in the Zone on Sports Radio 105.7 FM, 
the fan. More now of Faith in the Zone, discovering people of sports and their walk in faith. Faith in the Zone is brought to you by Brookside Baptist Church. Back with host Mike McGivern and Pastor Ken Keltner on Sports Radio 105.7 FM, The Fan. All this time, all this time, you covered me. Uh, welcome back to Faith in the Zone on Sports Radio 105.7 FM, The Fan. I'm Mike McGivern alongside my co-host. Whenever he shows up, he is Pastor Ken Keltner from Brookside Baptist Church. I'm only kidding, Pastor. Our special, our I'm glad special, you're having fun with this man, today. I'm only kidding. You know that. I love it when you're here. Our special guest, Tim Fortuno. He is a former left-hander in the major leagues with a number of teams. He's also a scout New York Mets organization. One of the quotes from one of the articles I read is Tim left baseball, but baseball never left Tim. And I and I love that. We are uh we we're talking with Tim. We we kind of ended a little bit in that first segment. And I want to move us back um to when you were brought from the, the authorities um to the Graves house. And and again, we we think at least in this studio that that they are the heroes of this story. And when, what were you feeling at that age when when they brought you to their home? And and I'm wondering if you if you can recall, you know, being in their house the first couple of days and what you were thinking. Yes, uh, Mike, I, I'm going to tell you something. I felt so relieved mm-hmm. that I had just left a home of stress, anxiety, angst. You name it, any adjective you can think of that brought. A, a heavy weight on your shoulders was completely lifted when I walked into this home, um, not knowing what I was getting into, but I knew it had to be better. And it turned out to be an extremely different environment than what I was used to. Actually, um, I think it was a 60-acre, 200-year-old house, uh, farmhouse that I moved into uh, with this family. And uh, they had cows, they had horses, they had sheep, they raised their own pigs. There was a stream in the backyard that uh, that was down the hill that had nice, you know, where there was trout. And it was just a neat, neat environment. And uh, so different than what I was used to. I felt so relieved. One might think, you know, and also felt probably, I could say, I also felt a sense of like a little bit of anxiety in the sense that I didn't know what this was going to be like and um because i was kind of there according to my probation officer at the time on a two-week trial a two-week trial meaning that whether or not i was going to like it we would take that into consideration and also the family that i was moving in with kenny and vicky Graves, they also had the right to say hey this is not working out or this is working out so there was some drawn up parameters when i moved in and uh, I remember it extremely vividly as if it was yesterday, because that's where my life t- took a turn for the best. Mm-hmm. Tim, that, and that was, was that in the Clinton, Massachusetts area uh, where they lived, or was it out in the country of Clinton? or where? It's actually about, it was probably about 50 miles from Clinton in a town by the name of Uxbridge. Okay. Uh, that's with the U- UX, Uxbridge. Huh. Okay. And um, so I ended up moving out there. Okay. And how long did you live there with them? I ended up living there 
And uh, basically, the state of Massachusetts says I'm in foster care until I was 18 years old, and then then that's when foster care, I would be cut off, if you will, on a financial situation. So I was put into this household uh, with the idea that the state was going to pay for my stay for the next year and a half. So I had from about 16 and a half years old until I was uh, 18 years old, and then I would have some decisions to make when that time came. Okay. Hey, Tim, did you have any church background uh, growing up there with your mom and your stepdad, or or was this all brand new when you got in the graves when they're opening the Bible, or or did you have some church background? I did. Great question, Ken. I had a little bit of a church background, meaning I was raised Catholic, Mm -hmm. but... But, and, you know, we had to go to, I had to go to catechism one day a week. I went to a public school, but then one day a week, or it was one day a month. I don't recall when I was living in Clinton, Massachusetts, where I'd have to go to catechism one day a week. And then we went to church one day a week. But it was such a, if you will, and I didn't understand, let me simply put, I didn't understand, and I never really learned back in those days what it meant to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. It was very ritual, very mm-hmm. routine very exercised. I knew in about 30 minutes we would be at this spot. I knew in about 10 more minutes we'd be out of here. And that was my whole attitude about church growing up. Mm -hmm. So to answer your question, it's yes and no, Mm -hmm. mostly no. I didn't have a personal relationship with Jesus, even though I will say this, there was a foundation that was put into place that taught me the difference between right and wrong. And my mother did a decent job at teaching us that's not right and that's wrong. So in that regard, I would have to say I had a moral fiber in my bones, but I didn't necessarily have a personal relationship or any kind of faith whatsoever. Well, you know, when you go back to that uh, parole officer you talked about, who, who you think looked at you and said, look, this basically is a pretty good kid. We don't know wh- wh- what's mm-hmm. going on, and, and let's, not, let's not lose him. You know, let's let's right. keep let's keep him going. We are talking our special guest for the entire hour today, Tim Fortuno. He is again a scout with the New York Mets organization. He was a left-hander. It took him a while, but he got there. He got there to the major leagues. Hey, Tim. So when when you started playing baseball again, your junior year, that uh, when you were with the Gray's family, that had to just feel really good to be back out on the diamond. Oh my gosh. Oh, my gosh, and I re- that's another vivid memory. And as you guys know, up there in the cold states, back up there in the Northeast as well, baseball is very seasonal. Mm-hmm. And, I be- and I can remember, uh, first of all, they learned that I really loved baseball growing up. And so they encouraged me to go try out for the baseball team, even though I was coming into Uxbridge High School in the middle of the school year. But it was winter. And so there was no baseball being played. It was basketball season. And ultimately, when the spring came around and you waited till the snow would thaw and, and the fields would thaw out, I'd be in the gym playing catch. And I did go try out. And I can remember, like it was yesterday, how like almost like I was back when I was seven years old when I knew that this was what I loved at the very most in life. It was taken away from me at about 11 years old and I was totally discouraged. I was told you cannot play. I was told you're not good enough. I was told you're too temperamental. I was told you're not a good kid. I was told such these negative tapes were in my head. And then I did start making all of that come true and started making bad choices, started hanging around the wrong group of kids. 
that ultimately when I got to the Graves home in that Christian home and they encouraged me to go try out, it was almost like uh, like I, the gates of heaven was opened up to me. Well, I, and so you know, I, I'm a high school basketball coach. I, I I would love to to talk to the the the, the high school coach when when he walked into the gym and saw you throwing. <laughs> he had to be like, "You got to be kidding me! Who is this?" And he's a. How tall were you at that point? Oh, you know, I wasn't extremely big, but. One thing that he did, Coach Taranjo and I are still really good friends to this day. And he literally just, you know, took to me. I was very, very, very quiet, though. Very quiet in the sense of I'm not letting anybody know my background. Right. And so I, I kept that extremely secret. The big question was, this guy seems like he's a good kid. This guy seems like he's a good guy. But why is he living in a foster home? That that question always lo- you know hung over everybody's head. People wanted to know my story. Yeah, but, but I was ex- Yeah, but when he heard the uh heard the catcher's mitt pop, I wouldn't uh-huh. care where you lived. <laughs> I'd just say, Hey, you get get to the mountain. Let's see let's see if you can throw it the way I think you can throw it. Uh, and he did. He did. He he absolutely took me in. He absolutely encouraged me. He had to walk a fine line though. You're walking into a small town. And the small town is you can't take anybody's job, but you still got to come in and you can earn a spot on the team. And ultimately, I won his confidence. Yes, he did like the arm, but also I I, I just want to remind you, Mike. Remember how I told you earlier is I was very raw and very crude. I had lost a lot of development time. Yeah. So yes, I sure. did. I did have a good arm, but I was very wild. But yet the arm was there, and he definitely identified that and said, okay, you can play on this team. <laughs> hey, Tim, I want to back up just a tad here, um, because one thing that we, we love to do with Faith in the Zone is uh, have folks that we have on as our guests just share how their journey of faith began. We've been kind of talking around it, but uh, before you start, one thing that as you've been talking, especially about this probationary officer I, you know, it, it's just a gut that I have, and I could totally be off base, but I have to believe he knew what type of home he was putting you in, and I don't know that I would be all that shocked if he was even a believer, uh, knowing, hey, I, I want this, I want this young man to have an opportunity, uh, you know, to meet the Lord because he had to know quite a bit about the Graves family, and I just think if that is true. Um, Again, the, the the hand of God and how He was directing and leading for you to come into the Graves home and to meet the right people along the way. But why don't you just share with us, uh, you know, w- when it was that it all came to uh, f- full realization to you that you knew you were a sinner and that you needed Jesus who died who died on the cross for your sins. Uh, I'd love to hear that story. Well, I'm going to tell you, I moved into that household, like I said, in the middle of my junior year. And when I first walked in, I have to admit, I was a little bit, like, curious, not quite as, like, I'm going to jump in head first. Mm-hmm. But I did I did put my toes in the water. They were having their Bible studies every night. First of all, let me just talk about John, my probation officer. To this day, I have never been able to, ever. And I, I tried to reach John years and years and years and years ago. Hmm. Um, just a couple of years, once I started my baseball journey, 
which we haven't gotten to yet. But once I started that, I did try to reach John. John was gone. He was he was like boom, vanished into into hmm. into thin air. He was gone. And so it's really interesting. We're going to find out someday. John, how did you know? But I do think instinctively and innately, John knew. Maybe even he had a sense spiritually um, that I would thrive in this atmosphere. So. Hmm. I, I would have to say that after living in that house for about a year, and, you know, I had a lot of baggage on my shoulders. I had a family that was disrupted. Um, you know, I had four kids. I had four, I had three other siblings. We're all one year apart. We were very close growing up and uh, very competitive together. And, you know, I, I, I lost that. I lost my mom. I lost my real dad, my biological dad. Everything was kind of gone. And so, you know, Kenny... And Vicky had to help me get through all of that. Mm -hmm. And they did. And after about a year or so, it was the January of my senior year in high school, I decided to dedicate my life to the Lord, recognizing that God was working behind the scenes, that he actually did know and did hear me cry out when I was 15 and a half years old. And I I went to bed. I didn't get a chance to tell this story, but I did go to bed one night. I wanted to kill my stepdad, or I wanted to kill myself. Mm-hmm. I went to bed with a knife under my pillow, and I think it was at that very moment where I started to realize that I'm so frustrated, I don't know what to do. But God heard my voice. I recognized it my senior year in high school. I actually recognized it that whole year I was living with them, that uh, I needed to give my life to the Lord because He did save me, and He rescued me. And uh, now he's not only that, but he's now given me an opportunity to have him as my spiritual counselor for the rest of my life. Mm. And so that Mm. was my redeeming uh, moment was January of 1980. It was the beginning Mm. of my senior year in high Mm -hmm. school. Yeah. And now he's given you a platform that you can tell others about what Jesus Christ has done, you know, for them uh, and dying on the cross uh, for their sins. And so... Uh, some of our, our guests have really emphasized how God, when he saved them, he gave them a platform. And and I don't know, uh, Tim, if—I know for, for myself and for Mike, because Mike had to take his glasses off. He's ready to start weeping here, that every time we, we get to hear the, this journey of how someone's faith began, it never gets old. I mean, it never gets oh, old. And, and it is so—it is just so— powerful to see the work of God and how he was uh, drawing you to a family that was going to give you the gospel message and you would trust Christ and then really see how God was going to take you and use your life for 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 his kingdom. And it's just awesome. I mean, it never gets old. I mean, uh, we can sit here and talk about your testimony for an hour because well, they, it, it, it's bet. just, it's beautiful. Well, and you know, Tim, you and I had that conversation that though it was different parts of our life, there's some similarities to some of the stuff mm-hmm. that that uh, that that we went through, and, and you know, I envy you that that you were able to figure this out at a much earlier age than than, than I did. But yet, we both wanted to keep a lot of the stuff that was going on inside. We don't want to tell people, you know, mm-hmm. we didn't we didn't know if people could handle it, and I I think we've learned that uh, that they can, and uh, we need to be out there talking more about the stuff that that uh, where we were. And and where we're going in in the music that we play for faith in the zone, Pastor Marlon Locke, he's got a line in in one of the songs that we use that says, "I, I am not uh, I'm not the man I want to be, but I thank God I'm not the man I used to be." 
And mm. it just fits perfect with what uh, with my life. Guys, let's get to a break. Other side of the break, I promise, we're going to talk baseball with Tim Fortuno. <laughs> and there's this baseball story. You think his life story was 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 a, a, a story of perseverance? Wait till you hear the baseball side of this. It's, uh, it's incredible. This is Faith in the Zone on Sports Radio 105.7 FM, The Fan. Welcome back to Faith in the Zone. An inside look at people in sports and their walk in faith. Faith in the Zone is brought to you by Accurate Basement Repair. Here's host Mike McGivern and Pastor Ken Keltner on Sports Radio 105.7 FM, The Fan. All this time, all this time, you covered me. Welcome back to Faith in the Zone on Sports Radio 105.7 FM, The Fan. I'm Mike McGivern, alongside Pastor Ken Keltner from Brookside Baptist Church, our special guest. He is Tim Fortuno, a scout with the New York Mets organization, and he uh, he spent some time in Major League Baseball, but it took him a while to get there. And Tim, I want to talk this segment uh, about your journey in the game of baseball and and I don't know you're working a construction site, and randomly there's some tennis ball sitting in in the uh, either in the parking lot or in the construction site. At that point, you had stopped playing baseball, correct? I did for two years. And my what, wife had no my wife had no idea. I guess I was already married. I already had a child. I was working in the construction business. I was going to be a carpenter. I was going to school on Saturdays to become an apprentice and the apprenticeship program to ultimately become a full-time journeyman and ultimately maybe be a contractor. That was what was in view for me for the rest of my life. And so um, I didn't know. Do did, did did you want me to go start talking a little bit about that tennis yeah, ball right I, here? Yeah, I, I really would because I think that's kind of – we talked about your high school days, but that's the, the jumping-off point, I think, for you to continue in the game of baseball was that tennis ball. It was. I mean, to me, that's a very symbolic moment in my career. That's kind of where it picks back up at the age of 21 years old. And I literally had put the baseball down. I thought it was in the rearview mirror. I I got through high school, but nobody talked to me about going to college. Nobody talked to me about going to play professional baseball. Nobody ever saw me. So I thought it was in the rearview mirror. But now I'm married. I have a child, and I'm working full-time in the construction field. One day, I was at lunch, as we all do. We take lunch breaks, and I'm sitting at this construction site. We're doing framing, and I see this tennis ball just over I under, and I ultimately, somebody just tapped me on the back shoulder, a whisper in my ear. I couldn't tell you, but I really believe to this day it was the Lord saying, go pick up that baseball, go pick up that tennis ball. And I did. And so I went and picked it up. I hadn't held a ball in my hand in over two years, and something just told me to throw it. And I literally just flung the thing as hard as I could, as far as I could, and it was almost like I had this epiphany. I had this wide, open, you know, wide-eye open feeling that, go pick that up and do it again. So I went over there, and I ran across the street to pick it up, came back, threw it again, and my boss at the time, his name was Jerry, said, hey, Tim, you got a cannon for an arm. And it was the strangest feeling I had but I had this sense, it all came clear to me, that I'm supposed to go play baseball. I, this sounds like a really strange story, but that's exactly what I did. I went home that night, and I told my wife, who, by the way, 
in the two years of marriage at that time, I never told her that I played. I, I told her I liked it growing up, but I never told her that I, I, I aspired to be a major league pitcher someday. I never told her that I really love it. I never watched it on TV, never went to a baseball game, never even talked about it. And I told her in that conversation that evening, I says, Cal, I believe I'm supposed to be playing baseball. And, I mean, you should have seen the eye. Her jaw drop. It was almost like, what? <laughs> and I said, I said, yeah. I said, I'm supposed to be playing baseball. I think the way I probably framed it as well was that, hey, listen, I think I got to go back to college. And she said, well, that's good. Get a degree, get an education, and then you'll have a nice job, vocation for the rest of your career. That's great. And I said, yeah, but I'm supposed to go to college and play baseball. And she said, uh, Tim, do you know you're married? Do you know that you have a son? Do you know that you have responsibilities? And I said, oh, yeah, I know all those answers. And I understand, and I have no idea how we're going to do it, but I believe we're supposed to do this. Wow. And, what, and, what, and I did. Yeah, and wasn't it uh, after this time, was it in college that she was watching you play and you you were uh, a little erratic and wild in your pitching? And uh, I thought I read somewhere she had the comment, oh, I, w- I was feeling so sorry for him. It was, it was just uh, terribly embarrassing. Yes. In the process that summer, after that lunch break, and now I had to find a college, uh, she came to me to in a game. I got involved in a summer league team. And it was like an after-school program, you might say. It was like a men's league. And so I literally jumped on board with those guys. And Kelly came this one particular night. And, I mean, I, didn't, I, I threw about four or five pitches above the hitter's head. I swung <laughs> four or five guys, gave up four or five hits, gave up four or five runs. And the coach is yelling at me from the dugout to throw strikes. <laughs> and you should, you should have seen, you should have heard, you could have heard a pin drop in the car when we were driving home. My son was in the back seat in his in his uh, baby seat. My wife is up in the front seat, and she's just going, "Tim, are you sure you're supposed to be doing this?" <laughs> I, I, you know, I was. I mean, yeah, I was never on that level, Tim. Uh, I struck out in slow pitch softball, and my wife asked me when we went home, "Do you need glasses?" I said, "Please, please." You, you know, this hey, this story is motivating me. I think I'm supposed to be a professional singer. I, I think I'm going home right now, and you're going to tell Terry you're going to go see that I'm I'm feeling led. I think I'm supposed to leave and be a professional yeah, singer. J- j- yeah, I wish you could be there. Too. Tim, when he sings, and then Terry has to go up and say to him, "That was embarrassing." That was, you know what she does? Hey, she does it every Sunday in church. Oh. Tells me, wow. "Oh my god, yeah, that's like I would, I would be your number one advocate." I yeah. <laughs> See, I've already got a fan. I've got a fan. Hey, hey Tim, I, I've had parents. Excuse me, my I, I want to ask you to just instill this one question: Is I've had parents out there just say, hey, Tim, what do you think? Is my kid good? I have no heart to tell them they can't, <laughs> primarily because of the fact that if, if anybody was never supposed to make it, I was never supposed to. So it's like I just can't never, ever discourage anybody from doing something when they say, hey, look, I'm supposed to do this. 
Yeah, I, you know what? As a coach, it's hard, man. Yeah, but you don't, don't you remember when we've had Don Beebe on, and he said, yeah. "Hey, I was terrible. I mean, I'm ter- I, I can't even believe God let me play in the National right. Football League because I, I wasn't any good. I, nobody <laughs> thought. In fact, it hey, included too me. small, too small, too, too slow. Yeah, couldn't catch. Other than that, I was the perfect wide receiver. Hey guys, <laughs> let's get to a break. Other side of the break, we'll have uh, we'll have eight or nine minutes to talk a little bit about some of the some of the stops. Um, in in your baseball career, where you've been, I know you were in Beloit, and I want to I want to tell that story on the other side of the break. This is Faith in the Zone. We're talking with Tim Fortuno again. He's a scout with the New York Mets organization. He is a former left-hander uh, with a number of clubs in Major League Baseball. He didn't get to the Major Leagues till he was thirty. He was a thirty-year-old rookie, but he made it. And we'll continue our conversation with him. This is Faith in the Zone on Sports Radio one hundred five seven FM. The fan. Back to Faith in the Zone, a journey on how people in sports walk in faith. Faith in the Zone is brought to you by Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. Here's host Mike McGivern and Pastor Ken Keltner on Sports Radio 105.7 FM, The Fan. All this time, all this time, you covered me. Welcome back to Faith in the Zone on Sports Radio 105.7 FM, The Fan. You know the guest is good when Pastor Ken is already trying to book him for a second <laughs> appearance on Faith in the Zone. He is Tim Fortuno. He is a scout with the New York Mets. And again, he the major league uh, left-hander in a number of teams major leagues. When I talked to Tim a couple of days ago, we talked about his time in Beloit. It was rookie ball. He's 28 years old. He's in Beloit. He's in the Brewer organization, and they won't move him up. And he's asking for his, can can you just release me so I can go somewhere else? And he makes the all-star game, all-star team. And he says to the guy, look, give it to one of these young kids. I'm 28 years old. I want to go home and spend some time with my family. And they're like, yeah, now you made the all-star game. So he's pitching in another game in Beloit, and Chris Bazio, the scout for the Brewers, is, is, is there to see Bazio pitch. And Bazio throws four innings, and then they, they bring uh, Tim in, and the scout stays, and he strikes out like nine guys at four innings. And the scout goes, what is he doing here? Like, what is this kid? What is it? He's 28 years old. The guy's got a rocket arm. Move him up or move him out. And I asked him, I said, what was it like in Beloit? He said, I was 28 years old, and I was in rookie ball in Beloit, Wisconsin. I've been to that field. How do you think it was? And I'm like, no, I don't think I would like it. (laughs) I don't think I'd like that at all. Hey, Tim, thank goodness that scout stayed for a few more innings. Oh, yeah. You know what? It was uh, the pitching coach for the Milwaukee Brewers, Larry Haney at the time. You bet. And 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 I thank God that he was in the stands that day because... You know, I was happy to have a job and have a uniform on my back, but I also knew I was 28 years old and I had my teammates, a lot of my teammates, telling me, Tim, they're just using you. You're just a filler. You're never going to get to the big leagues. And at that time, I never had. I was 28. and um, But yet, at the same time, I was putting up really good numbers. And the manager on the team, his name is Rob Dirksen, he was a lifetime yep. Milwaukee Brewers coach, sure. had passed away since then. But even he wanted me to go to double-A or triple-A and try to find out if I had what it took to get to the big leagues. He believed in me. But anyways, I did have an opportunity to pitch in front of Haney, and the next day I was in double-A. 
And um, I was grateful for the opportunity. I made a lot of really good friends with the Brewers organization. Actually, it was one of my longest tenured times with any team I ever played for. So the Brewers will always be close in my heart because I did have an opportunity to stay on the field to be recognized by others. Well, and I asked him for some names, and, and guys like me, when you, when you start talking about Pat Listash and Cal Eldred, uh-huh. Greg Vaughn, uh-huh. these are all like yep. guys that... Yeah, they they were guys that I certainly watched over at Miller and not Miller Park. It was County Stadium yeah, uh-huh. back then. Hey, there was one story that, and we only have about five minutes, but there's a story that you read about that that you've said, look, we have to get to. Yeah, yeah, and it was uh, it was about George Brett when he got his three thousand three thousandth hit, and uh, yeah, you were you with the White Sox then, or were the Angels? I was actually with. I was actually with the Angels, my first major league team. It was nineteen ninety two in my fresh in my rookie year. And was that game played in Kansas City? Nope. It was in it was actually in Southern California, which is where Georgia's from. Georgia's from El Segundo High School. Okay. Which is down there by LAX airport. Mm-hmm. And uh so he was in front of a lot of family at that night. Yeah. So uh, so take us through that scenario. There you are going up against because I listened to it on you you know I went on YouTube yeah. and they're announcing mm-hmm. hey George steps up to the plate George Brett 2999 hits all the cameras are ready to flash if he gets his hit and he, he just take it take us through it. Well at this point George Brett is at 2,999. I'm in the bullpen. I think I was one of two lefties down there. Scott Bales was down there, or Scott Bales had already pitched. And so I knew my number could be called. He was already three for three. He was hot that night. He was definitely looking like he was going to get there. And ultimately, what ended up happening is they brought me in, and, and I was aware. My pitching coach at the time said, hey, Tim, listen, he's swinging at everything. I think that instead of telling me throw a curveball, he just said, hey, he's swinging at everything. So I threw him a fastball, which is my nature. I'm very aggressive in nature. And so I threw him a fastball, and he hit a wicked one-hopper to the second baseman, went out Ken Oberfeld's glove, went into the right field. He got his 3,000 hit and, of course, got his five-minute standing ovation. And what ended up happening was is I did have a really good pickoff move, this was kind of like the uh, Captain Crunch cereal question. <laughs> I question. love it. That, that he goes, uh, that, you know, that basically I get the pinky from the catcher. The catcher says, throw over. And I really questioned it. He goes, well, it's coming from the dugout. So I said, okay. So I gave him a half-hearted move, and I threw to first base. And, of course, he wasn't expecting it whatsoever because George Brett's not going anywhere. I think he might have been 30 years old, 39 years old at the time, close to it. And ultimately, I ended up picking him off. (laughs) That's not right. It's like, I know, I know, that's not right. And, you know, and the question was at the time, hey, Tim, what were you thinking? I said, well, I'm thinking we're in the game. It's 3 nothing. We're we're still in it. It's only the seventh inning. I wanted to keep the run. I wanted to keep him close. And very much said, you got to go over there and get a bat and a ball from him. And, of course, I I knew that there would be a circus over there. And, um so, you know, but he was in the middle of a sentence telling Gary Gaetti, who was the first baseman, his family was up in Section 102. <laughs> oh, and, and and then Gary goes, hey, but I got the ball in my glove. I got to tag you out. So he tags him out, three outs, and it's like, that's how it ended. 
And it's like, you know, hey, look, George Brett is such a cool guy. The guy ended up sending me a signed bat and a signed ball the next day. He oh, was happy. Awesome. He does 3,000. No harm, no foul. Well, his wife was <laughs> up in the stands cracking up. George Brett said they were showing her <laughs> laughing at him getting picked off first base. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> awesome. Hey, hey Tim. Check this out. Go ahead. No, no go ahead. No, no, that's it. Go ahead. I'm sorry about that. Yeah, we uh, we need to wrap this up. I, I can't thank you enough for reaching out to us. I really appreciate it. And and trust me, when Pastor Ken says during a break, we need to book him now for a second appearance. <laughs> um, I will reach out to you in the next few weeks and, and have you come back on. There's so much left in your story that we haven't gotten to, and I apologize for that. Um, but, man, keep up the good work. Uh, use that platform the Lord has given you, and uh, we look forward to having you back on faith in the zone thank you mike and uh thank you ken i cannot tell you um how grateful i am and i will i will be sure to use this platform and spread the good news and um and that's why i was so pumped when i saw faith in the zone i'm impressed with all your guests and i'm really impressed with the way you guys have fun with it you you share the glory of god in it and it's Mm -hmm. like to me i just thought this was a no-brainer well, I yeah, appreciate thank you for Thank you for coming on. You bet. He is Tim Fortuno. Pastor, it's good to see you again. Yeah. <laughs> it's always a pleasure. Thanks for listening. This is Faith in the Zone on Sports Radio 105.7 FM, The Fan. You've been listening to Faith in the Zone with host Mike McGivern and Pastor Ken Keltner. You can hear Faith in the Zone every Sunday at 8 a.m. To find past shows, exclusive podcasts, or to contribute with an inside tip for a guest, simply go to faithinthezone.com. Faith in the Zone is an inside look at people of sports and their walk in faith. Join us again next Sunday for Faith in the Zone, right here on Sports Radio 105.7 FM, The Fan. Was it really amazing grace? Lord, it was you that rescued me. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.